The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Monday night edition of the show. Not a ton of drama in today's games, although Philly does live to fight another day. So we'll talk about that one in some detail. Not too much probably on Toronto and Cleveland. And then we got to talk about uh, the offseason for the Detroit Pistons and maybe even another one. We'll see if we how much time it takes us to get through all that stuff. Uh, Detroit, I feel like, could take us a long time or not very much, depending on how much we want to get into the Stan Van Gundy news and uh, how they got to this point, uh, which has been well covered. So maybe we won't do that. Anyway. Anyway, let's talk basketball here. Philly 103, Boston 92. They live to fight another day. TJ McConnell inserted into the starting lineup for Robert Covington. And that was a brilliant move from Brett Braun. Plus 18 for McConnell. Career high playoffs or regular season. 19 points, 9 to 12 from the field, 5 assists. To me, the biggest difference in this game was the aggressiveness that McConnell played with. And he was going after Terry Rozier consistently and getting to his spots more often than I expected. And it it reminded me of just how passive Ben Simmons has been in a lot of this series. I think Simmons will add that into his game a little bit more. It was more present in the regular season, but McConnell played with an urgency that the Sixers needed and it helped them push a little bit more, but also just it created more seams in the defense than I think had been there before, though that was also helped by the foul trouble. Let's let's put it that way. Yeah, I think that was helpful, but to me, the Sixers earned a lot of those fouls because for the first time in the series, they were clearly the more aggressive team, the team that played harder in this series whether that was McConnell attacking off the dribble um you know I thought Boston's man-to-man defense was really bad just you know whether it was because they got distracted by fake screens that were coming up like McConnell blew by Rozier in the half court like three times for layup uh you know Sharich was blowing by guys for layups as well uh and I thought you know we were critical certainly I was of Embiid and Ben Simmons that they weren't playing quite hard enough and neither of them really was great although Simmons did at least hit his free throws in this game but I thought they just overall were playing with a lot more effort and credit to Brett Brown for finding ways to dial that up such as playing McConnell who his effort quite obviously was infectious he also decided we're just going to trap pick and rolls like this isn't just Embiid kind of out at the level of the screen which is something that we had been critical of earlier in the playoffs that hey you know leave this great rim protector back against a team like Miami but now they really were getting out on the floor and just trapping getting the ball out of guys hands Jason Tatum with his height was able to deal with that reasonably well Terry Rozier who is not a good passer was not able to deal with that and Rozier we mentioned his defensive struggles he also uh, had 11 points and was four of 11 from the field I think McConnell was a big part of that as well but probably more so the traps I would say and then the Sixers actually they did it Danny they ran a pick and roll they ran the most basic play in basketball in the fourth quarter and it worked yeah it was bizarre just because of how little they they've run it during the regular season but the reason teams use pick and roll is to create separation that you can then build off of 
offensive. And while they do not have perfect personnel for that necessarily because of Simmons' lack of a jump shot, they can't actually do it, and it produced good looks. Yeah, even uh, McConnell did something in pick and roll. Uh, th- they ran two Simmons and B pick and rolls in a row. One was an alley oop to Embiid that probably was a goaltend, but still he was wide open. And then another one, he was wide open again, and Simmons just overthrew the pass uh, on an alley oop as well. But that really worked. And then you know for Boston, they just weren't defending with the same kind of intensity. Jalen Braun wasn't able to give him as much in this game. He's still very clearly limited with that hamstring. I mean, we have basically since game two, we have not seen any explosive plays from him. He's he's doing a good job of gutting it out and just not going too hard where he's going to injure himself. But you know he took six shots in this game and five of them were from three, you know, which is an indication he also had five fouls. Was left in by Brad Stevens actually uh, with five fouls in the third quarter. Brad says basically he never takes guys out due to foul trouble. That's probably a little bit of hyperbole, but uh, yeah, I mean basically no one on Boston was able to be efficient in this game uh they finally shut down Horford as well he only had 10 points and was negative 11 I guess Tatum was really the only guy who, who got it going offensively so um anything else that, that stuck out to you here well I think it was around halftime it was maybe it was in the third quarter I was just saying they're going it would be strange for the Sixers to lose this game because Marcus Smart is actually hitting his shots because he hit a couple of ridiculous ones there was a runner from like 18 feet that he hit I think that was in the yeah. third quarter hit a couple, couple of threes of layups and yeah, I think he was only one out yeah, of two. Exactly. One of them might have been a long two, but yeah. Yeah. And that toned down a little bit later on, but you know, it, it was kind of, it was one of those games for Boston where they didn't really get into much of a rhythm offensively. And that happened a couple of times in the Bucks series and we credited justifiably the Bucks defense. And so it, it is a mix of both things, but it was reminding me now that we know who is going to be waiting in the conference finals should Boston make it there, that the challenge with Cleveland is very distinct and different from the other Eastern Conference teams because it's so hard to stop them that at a certain point it becomes can you score reliably even against an inconsistent often flawed defense and Boston can do that there have been times especially in this series where in trade they've killed in transition or they've been able to exploit miscommunications but they're going to need to do that four times out of seven to beat Cleveland yeah and this series is not over yet I, mean, I fully expect Boston to win but I think you know in individual games in this series I don't think that Boston is like a massive favorite in these games especially since Philly seemed to find a way to, to play a little bit harder and you always wonder about a smoke and mirrors aspect with Boston uh, and especially with Braun limited as a source of offense I mean this is more what I expected the Celtics offense to look like in this series this is and actually the Sixers stopped Boston pretty well in game three also um, they just uh, and Boston shooting you know they did actually shoot it reasonably well from threes a few of those were at the end um, and certainly Boston fans will point to all the fouls in the first half although ultimately the free throws ended up pretty even uh, 19 out of 26 for Boston and 20 out of 20 six for philly philly didn't shoot as many in the second half but really what this game was about was the superior effort and that showed in a couple of ways number one was the sixers were able to actually force some turnovers they forced 15 and although only four of those were steals so a few of those were just mistakes by boston but then the sixers on their own i'm sorry that's right only six of those uh out of the out of the 15 and then the sixers had a few turnovers late but only eight overall which of course is an achilles heel for this team and then they destroyed boston on the offensive glass with 16 offensive rebounds to six and so despite the fact that boston had a better true shooting in this game 53 percent to 49 percent, they still were beat handily because the sixers controlled the possession game so much and saric and bead both of them had four offensive rebounds that was just another example the way they were pressing and not only that but they only gave up six fast break points even with all those offense boards so they, they were able to get back in transition as well and interestingly philly didn't really run it too much in transition themselves but uh because they won the possession game that's where this game uh 
ended up being decided. Early on, it was a really, really rough night for Robert Covington. Covington came off the bench. He was the player replaced by TJ McConnell, and I thought he, he had two rough fouls early. Not rough as in bad calls, rough as in correctable plays, and was missing a couple shots. But then I thought he looked more engaged defensively later, and he did actually hit 1-3, so he finished 1-7 for seven from the field. Yeah, he actually had like one good possession defensively where he stopped Jason Tatum uh, on a closeout. Uh, but the Sixers defense, uh, despite the fact that they were trapping out on the perimeter so much, only allowed 15 shots at the rim, and Boston had been getting a lot of system buckets they largely took those away um boston was forced into 28 twos outside the restricted area hit only nine of those again that was a, a big part of where the game was won and the sixers amazingly i mean they only shot seven out of 26 from three part of that is you're replacing robert covington with tj mcconnell bellinelli played not nearly as much either i think they avoided having to play bellinelli and reddick together i think that was a, another reason maybe for that switch and mcconnell actually had some pretty good minutes guarding jason tatum with covington being so ineffective he might actually amazingly be their best option on Jason Tatum in this series. So what are you looking for as we go back to Boston here now? The success of Boston's half-court offense and the proportion of the time that they are in the half-court offense because of whether they run or not. I think that's really going to be definitive in terms of the remaining games in this series. And that really was a part of what swung, I believe it was game two. And the Celtics, you know, they, they can put it together. I think they will play better in game five than they did in game four beyond the home road element just because i think they're they're better than the way that they played today but i do think that the sixers have a a better it's, it's hard to say a better chance than most teams in this situation because no team in this situation has ever won but you know any as you said in each individual game they have a, they have a fighting chance so i'm looking at boston's offense though as the definitive part of this game yeah i believe off the top of my head the last team to force even a game seven when trailing 3-0 in a series was portland against dallas in 2003 and dallas won that game handily at home that game seven the last team that i remember to even win two after going down three zero although it was uh there might be one that more recent than this was the 07 bulls against the piston uh won game four at home won game five in detroit and then just got worked at home in, in game six it was, a, it was a very weird series and a weird bulls team but uh so that's the task with the Sixers. i mean the number one thing i'll be looking for in game five is the effort categories whether it's the offensive rebounds i mean simmons sharich those guys were like ducking in like Simmons has actually got like some deep post-ups on Al Horford which who Al, Joel Embiid hasn't been able to get deep post-ups on Al Horford but Button Simmons surprised him with some duck-ins um presumably McConnell will continue to start I think that Boston defended reasonably well considering just the total lack of shooting with you basically just got Redick and that's it and Sharich actually shot it reasonably well I mean he's the other guy too you know so his shooting is always a question mark but there's just a lot of drives a lot of straight line drives the pick and roll as well how much do they go back to that Boston probably wasn't really ready for pick and roll i'm sure they will be in the next game and then the sixers is is this trapping gonna work as well because it definitely increases the intensity level but it's also boston and brad stevens are masters at attacking traps you know as the milwaukee bucks have found out at various times in this series but you know certainly when you've got philly's personnel you can do it a little bit better so that's what i'll be looking for i mean i think boston should be favored they are undefeated at home in these playoffs very difficult to beat there but eh, you know if the sixers can win game five maybe we things get a little bit more interesting um anything else to say here or should we move on i think we can move on i think i'm actually more excited for this read than i am to talk about game four of cavaliers raptors and that's because it's from quip toothbrush quip is an electric toothbrush that costs a fraction of bulkier brushes and bulkier is the key word here in the copy because a quip toothbrush is basically the size of a normal toothbrush it's powered by a triple a battery that you only have to replace once every three months so you don't have to 
worry about recharging you go on vacation you it actually comes with this holder you just flip it around slip it over the top and throw it in your dop kit and you're ready to roll i actually just got a smaller dop kit because i don't need as much space for a bulky electric toothbrush anymore and by the way if you've never used an electric toothbrush before and you're using a regular toothbrush i highly recommend using quip because you'll just be shocked at how much cleaner your teeth feel and then you also it has a timer on it helps you brush in all four quadrants of your mouth make sure that you brush for the recommended two minutes stimulates your gums i think a lot more than a normal toothbrush does and you don't have to just like actually move it around that hard either it's nice and really you're probably going to save money off of a normal toothbrush too because quip starts just 25 dollars. and if you go to getquip.com slash capspace right now you'll get your first refill pack free with your quip electric toothbrush that's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we're about to talk about it these off-season previews here get quip g-e-t-q-u-i-p.com slash capspace so i don't have a ton to say about this other than just that cleveland is absolutely unguardable now they, they are back i mean i was talking with bob vulgaris about like well what do you think that the pacers did to slow this team down because really nobody has slowed down this offense really, even the warriors and especially when they've gone with kevin lowe and he was saying that because the pacers just fight over screens that that was something that people weren't prepared for whereas the raptors were switching a lot of stuff something i have to go back and look at i wasn't that struck by that at, at the time uh and, and i think he was mostly talking about off ball screen but here again you know while og ananobi did a good job in the series he of course only played 20 minutes and he was negative 23 no no raptors really had it going but i think really like the raptors of all the teams with personnel you've got ibaka who could be a decent switch guy you've got ananobi siakam who was kind of drawing dead in this series trying to guard lebron but at least as someone who could get a little bit better lowry is a good defensive point guard DeRozan may be incorrigible on that end but with there's just no chance of guarding this team and i don't know i don't think it's necessarily a personnel problem at this point i mean balanchunas you know yeah he's, he's gonna struggle in a series like this although he had a, a wonderful run of 10 points when they put tristan thompson in the game so i'm not really sure what they can do from a personnel standpoint we will talk about that on their offseason preview at some point but i think they may have to look into moving on from Dwayne casey at this point which is not fair to casey necessarily i mean he has been a great regular season coach but at this point to get this team to the next level i'm not sure what other variables you can change because they don't really have a ton of flexibility here uh people are saying blow up the raptors i don't know if i would do that because uh they probably would be in the nba finals this year if it weren't for lebron james being in the east and he may not be in the east next year maybe they would have lost to boston or philly anyway i don't necessarily think so um there, there was one caseyism though that just i have to comment on baby noguera hasn't played in two weeks he has proved time and again both in the playoffs and during the regular season that he cannot stay on the floor against this cleveland team and i guess you know if you wanted to line him up in a sprint or have him do a shuttle drill baby might be faster than Jonas Bell but Valanciunas had just been awesome he actually had really hurt love in the post at times when he had that matchup he at least gives you something on offense Cleveland is trapping pick and rolls so they're forcing him to throw it to Bebe Bebe is not a good passer especially cold having played for the first time in this series he had a couple of turnovers during this key negative 10 stretch he had in only two minutes at the end of the first half and then couldn't guard Kevin Love during that period either so I mean you go to Valanciunas I still I don't think that OG and Siakam played a single do you remember this thing did, did OG and Siakam play play a single minute together in this series i think in this series they did but not in this game yeah th- that you wouldn't try what would obviously be your best defensive lineup with the most versatility that could actually do some switching seems very odd to me uh but it was really i mean the combination of lebron james and kevin love they just could not deal with those guys there were multiple sets that the raptors just couldn't deal with they still had no answer for love getting screened out of the corner they had no answer for kyle corver coming off of a wide pin down uh, they had no answer for a set that i think lou brought 
brought out in this game i had not seen much of it before where they would screen lebron james to get the ball right basically at the free throw line and then he could go right or left they would run screens for shooters on either side of that at the same time and that was just completely unstoppable even og couldn't deal with that one-on-one against lebron from that area i mean there's not many guys in the history of the league who could so i mean they they just they couldn't deal with it uh toronto couldn't and by the end i mean they were just getting sliced up they were hanging their heads they were giving up but you know if i were in that situation down 3-0 and getting blown out in the second half i probably wouldn't be uh exactly competing my hardest either Dwayne casey had a statement after the game that i i thought the guys were going to come out and compete harder which is eh, not the greatest look <laughs> not not the greatest look about your players when you're trying to put it on them uh so we'll see what ends up yeah, happening with I, them. I, I wanted to throw out a couple stats just because yeah. they were ridiculous in this game so in the first three quarters i don't even know where to draw the line in terms of the competitive portion but that's why i, I chose know, three minutes it. into the game sorry go ahead yeah but so through three quarters cleveland was shooting 64 percent from the field and t- they were 22 of 28 in the restricted area during that time while also taking 17 free throws i mean it is it is basically impossible and they ended the game with i think a one 139 offensive rating it is basically impossible to beat a team that is scoring that much because as much as like that's the way cleveland lost in the 2017 finals toronto can't score reliably that way and there aren't many teams that can so it's going to be a problem and you do what you can to lower that number from 140 to 110 115 but that's just the way it is yeah i mean and this was a good defensive team in the regular season and they have good defensive players yeah this is one of the best offensive teams you're going to find with lebron uh who just casually walked his way into 29 points and 11 assists uh without even really trying that hard for most of the, most of the first half love at another 23 points on only 16 shooting possession and his spacing of course was absolutely lethal but i mean you're giving up 140 and 139 offensive ratings like the Cavs aren't putting that up against the suns in the in the regular season right i mean that you know granted they're playing a little harder but uh just to to provide so little resistance and and i realized that lebron was hitting some ridiculous shots in game two and that really you know kind of eviscerated the raptors hearts and all that but uh yeah they should be able to do better i think in the playoffs against this one opponent and for all those who kill tyloo maybe someone who is on this podcast for example who rated him extremely low in the coach rankings his teams always bring it in the playoffs uh how much of that is lebron i don't know but they always seem to have these sets that like teams like the raptors just can't guard over and over again he brought out this this new thing with him at the free throw line which was a a great idea uh he kevin love said hey i don't want to play center tristan thompson had been playing well it seemed like in game two they would probably start thompson at center tyron Lue said "Uh oh we're gonna play kevin love at center and kevin love absolutely dominated the last three games of the series sticking with that lineup so uh, i think lou hard to say that he has not done a good job in these playoffs his regular season job is a difficult one considering that lebron james uh, windhorse actually had a really good article today on how lebron walks more than like any player in the nba and certainly uh lebron where he is defensively at this point it, it is very difficult to build a good defense around that but you know the, they brought it today in the playoffs i mean they they had uh only allowed 15 three-point attempts by toronto in this game uh, again a, a raptor scene that was probably checked out but nonetheless uh i think lou deserves some credit here what is your reaction to that he's done a good job a lot of the good job that he has done has involved maximizing or at least doing the best he can with lebron james i should certain things happen i wonder how we will feel about how he is as a coach in february of 2019 let's put it at, at, at that kind of term yeah. but he's done a, a good job in this specific situation and i fully d- praise him the the reason i said that on the podcast was more the idea that we don't have enough to evaluate him and so for me there are a lot of like it's in a strange place in the league right now where there are a lot of good coaches i think That's there are true. a lot of good coaches yeah. around in the league and so as opposed 
opposed to, let's say, six years ago when there was just this batch of eight to ten coaches that I just thought couldn't tread water in the in the NBA. You know, now that that's probably down to three or four. It might even be fewer than that now. And so I'm I value certainty in terms of that. And so Lou has done a very good job with this team. It's just really hard to evaluate, just like it can sometimes be hard to evaluate a coach that just has bad talent. You know, like I thought it was really hard to evaluate Brett Brown before this year. It's just kind of a similar issue. One other thing I wanted to bring up, and this relates to Ty Lue's coaching, that I thought was fascinating and potentially important. In the competitive portion of this game, Chetty Osman was a part of the Cavaliers rotation. I thought he played with nice energy. He replaced Rodney Hood, who not only did not play in the competitive portion, he did not play in the non-competitive portion as well. So I don't know if there's anything going on. I didn't hear anything, but that's something I could miss sometimes. And we'll see what happens moving forward beyond that I think Osman brings more defensive capability and, you know, what Rodney Hood brings offensively with the ball in his hands isn't super valuable on this specific Cleveland squad. It's also complicated because Rodney Hood is a restricted free agent in two months, basically. And, you know, that's going to be a challenge. I mean, it's very possible that the Cavs look very different at that point, but it's a complicated situation. Yeah, I'd probably go with Chetty too over what Hood has brought them in these playoffs at at times. All right, I think that's enough on that. Should we just do it? Should we just do the Toronto Raptors offseason preview right now? We're we're ready. Let's do it. Let's just bang it out here. I mean, this is this is uh let me load up the spreadsheet actually now that we've teased that let me uh do a quick read here first from our friends at Geek. last last one of the show i know it's a little close to the one that we did but now you're gonna get uh 40 minutes or whatever it's gonna be of commercials coming up maybe 30 minutes or commercial free i should say and whoever is on the toronto raptors next year and whoever their coach is you can use SeatGeek to go and see them SeatGeek is the smartest easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event it saves you time it saves you money i'm really more even into for the savings of time because number one it aggregates ticket selling sites together so you don't have to go to a bunch of different places number two which is even my favorite aspect of what they do is they have proprietary technology that ranks every ticket based on value so you look in the section where you want to sit you click on there you look for that big dark green dot the bigger and darker green the better the value click on it you buy the seats and you're done you just spent 90 seconds getting tickets with their app it used to be a 20 minute process comparing everything oh this is this is a better deal it's five bucks more but it's uh you know one row further ahead you know is that better now you don't have to go through that process anymore i'm someone who's always worried about value and SeatGeek is the best way to get that value whether it's for concerts comedy sporting events whatever it is and best of all my listeners get 20 dollars off their first SeatGeek purchase just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code capspace today user capspace we're about to talk about it for the aforementioned raptors they don't have any but that doesn't mean you can't use the capspace code to get 20 dollars off your first SeatGeek purchase wow okay <laughs> well so i i, I want to start this with responding to something you said in the other part i was originally going to wait until we did the Toronto Raptors offseason preview I didn't expect that to be six minutes so it was a shorter wait than I expected but I am pretty adamant as much as I agree with your criticisms of Dwayne Casey that they assuming they don't want to overhaul this roster and we'll get into that in a second I don't think they should fire him because what another coach would do in the playoffs is a is a benefit certainly I think there were some weird rotational things that Casey did I acknowledge that but the Raptors have done a consistently good job over these last few years of developing and empowering young talent. And that credit goes to an entire coaching staff. I cannot attribute it to, oh, this assistant coach is doing a really good job with this player or anything like that. So it is entirely possible that some of that praise is undue. However, as far as I know, none of the Raptors assistants have gotten offered a head coaching job anywhere else. So maybe they'll stick together if they keep Casey. So that part of it to me, I think you run the risk of losing. And it is entirely possible that a different coach could give them, could put them at a point where maybe this series goes six games. I don't think any 
coach could have me turn this around and you know oh they win this series in five or six like people chastise us for not picking it and the raptors had the best regular season in franchise history they were the best team in the eastern conference throughout the regular season and i feel like it's throwing the baby out with the bathwater for basically a very small theoretical incentive that i'm not even really sure is there we're not in the building with them caveat 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 coaching is really hard to evaluate caveat 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 they should fire <laughs> and and again it, like as we always say deserve ain't got nothing to do with it right this is to me these are players there's a lot of talent on this team maybe Dwayne Casey deserves a ton of credit for developing that talent but maybe now the development phase is over and this is a veteran team they don't have very much flexibility and there's got to be a way to get more out of these guys and while you, you were like oh you know his rotational decisions weren't that good I really think that he's just throwing darts at a dartboard blindfolded in the playoffs it really seems like with some of these rotations but so I agree with you for the for the playoffs there are these weird elements but do you think another coach reasonably you know outs of the coaches that will theoretically be available do you think anybody could have led them to a better regular season record or would I, you expect that I don't that? know the answer to that Masai Ujiri probably does not know the answer to that but I don't think that you blow it up this is obviously a talented roster they have young guys who can take even greater steps forward but I do think you have to there's been so much disappointment in the playoffs especially just the utter non-competitiveness with Cleveland and you definitely don't blow it up if LeBron James leaves the Eastern Conference and certainly you know winning all these games getting in the second round like that's not meaningless there are if not 22 NBA teams probably 15 NBA teams that would love to be in that position every year so they might get worse in the regular season I, I'm not sure that they necessarily would I mean other than playing all these bench guys together I mean can you and yeah Casey was willing to change was willing to oh oh I you're we're gonna go into this because starting OG Ananobi and giving him the opportunity there is something a large portion of NBA coaches would not do as a rookie who missed all of summer league and missed most of training camp to throw him in as early as he did give him put him in the right role to succeed the way that Lowry and DeRozan have actually listened to him offensively during yeah, the regular I was, season I was getting to that and, I think that's useful although it was Ujiri who really was the driving impetus for those changes to be clear I think uh that's what all the yeah reporting but he did. but Casey but Casey had the had the equity with those players to actually get them to do well, it well here, here's I my think point that even if I grant bit. you that they would there's a decent chance that whoever they bring in would be worse than the regular season you're still this is a variance game in the NBA even if there's only a 25 percent chance that they would improve you know that what you have right now is not good enough so I would rather take a 25 percent chance that whatever you do do would be good enough uh, as far as a coaching perspective and then I mean if we get into the playoffs he just like he did not coach like this team was good enough in a lot of ways I mean the the way he just straight up panicked when they got down by eight in the third quarter of game two and just went you know played CJ Miles a ton Miles just had no chance of guarding LeBron the fact like just he, he they did not have enough of a defensive plan and, and maybe someone else wouldn't be able to come up with that plan maybe someone else would maybe they can figure out a way to just be physical off the ball and hold the shit out of Kyle Korver or whatever it is uh or get personnel out there who can be tougher I don't know exactly what the answer is I mean I've tried to come up with something and I haven't had a great idea but it's very clear that Casey it is likely that they are not going to have the playoff success they've continually underperformed and this that's the playoffs is what this team should be focused on at this point and so I think you know we're taking a long time here to talk about this but I think I would move on from him it's not fair but that's the nature of a league where it's easier to change the coach than the player I'll say two quick things outside of that one if he is no longer and the quote that you said I think I the first person I heard attributed is Michael Grange if that is kind of where he's going then he might be losing this team anyway if that's the case then I would agree with you because then the the value that he's provided in that way wouldn't be there the 
other kind of thing with uh, you talked about you changing over the roster i i i agree with you that they shouldn't and and that's actually what i think would be the next question that we should get into but i don't think they can i mean there are certain elements that they can do better but i i don't think a team with lowry and DeRozan as their best players can really be much more than this and if if you, i believe that if toronto well, they, they you know if they the three and four seeds on offense though yeah but if so like if the three and four seeds had been flipped let's say all this different in these entire playoffs is cleveland beats philly in that game i don't think it's a guarantee that toronto would have beaten philadelphia but i think they would have had a pretty good shot and or over indiana if that's what the series had gone into and so i was disappointed in casey's coaching job in the wizard series and i actually think there's a pretty good argument that of in that series as well that he's not the right coach for this team can you come up with a single series he's done a good job in not particularly but that's i I think that's putting the cart before the horse because here's my point i don't think they can make an nba finals with with anybody as their coach if it's you know whoever whoever you think of as as the deity of coaching like i don't think you can elevate this roster much more i don't think those differences it's it's more to me like deck chairs and i think that's the biggest difference we have is that i think you're right that there is some improvement there i just think that improvement is very modest and so what you do with casey if it were me and he's still reaching this team and this ties in with the next question is you let him ride it out with this group and then you go for a more wholesale change when the roster is ready for it because when they committed over the last two years to this group they basically created a collection of players that is unblow upable because very few of them are on value contract let's turn to that now the roster i'm surprised actually that i'm the one advocating to move on from the coach and you're saying or, or i'm sorry i'm the one advocating that they should fire him you're the one saying that they but uh i, I feel like those roles would normally work i think that i'm usually a little bit nicer toward coach than but do you agree with that or eh, generally speaking i i think it's more in relation to the roster and so let, let's get to that point so here's where i was kind of going with this idea lowry makes so we're starting with 1819 so lowry makes 31 million next season and then he has one more year left at about 33 serge Ibaka, 21 7 and then 23 2 and demars is flat he has 27 7 for the next two years and then a player option for that third year i have no idea what he's going to do at that point with that and then valanchunas about 17 million per for two more years so who of that group i've used the term you know the nene test the nene test is basically whether a player and his contract is a is is a net positive or net negative whether you would have to give up an asset or whether you would have to you would you could receive an asset damari carroll is a good example here masai gave up a first round pick to unload damari carroll and they got under the luxury tax of that group of four guys it can be different for every team but generally speaking are there any of them that pass the nene test for you well i think there are people would definitely be willing to trade for damar although he is a tough fit but i mean if you wanted to just say like hey you know we'll just take like if the suns or something or maybe not the sun but you know the kings have cap space this year they would totally just take him cap for sure i mean and, and they'd probably give up up to i think like these teams that are just so irrelevant uh nate silver actually had a funny tweet that derose seems like beyond there after all and, and maybe that's not the case with those guys but they still are solid nba players who provide pretty decent production i know abaca had another disappointing series valanchunas i thought actually had a very nice playoff um but they also have plenty of assets who they could attach or who are pretty cheap i, I think i don't think they need to change that much of this roster I, like i said I, I think they could change the coach but they are limited in changing things because as of now before they bring back fred van vliet you're looking at seven million dollars into the projected tax and that's going to be very interesting for maple Leaf sports and entertainment after this desultory loss to the Cavs to say hey we're going to pay the luxury tax or not you know i think norman paulo is pro- probably the guy that they would try to move that's another interesting nene test maybe there would be a team that would want to just take him uh i'm not sure if that's the case though and then again there are not very many teams who can just take a guy with cap space and now the trick of having a guy who's non-guaranteed 
seed that they can take back and just cut that that is gone now as a way to dump salary you gotta just dump them into space one way or another maybe in a three-way but that that could help them get under the tax but then they would have to re-sign van bleed as well and van bleed is extremely important but they've got Pirtle. maybe Wright could be a potential trade candidate as well to get off of some money attach him you know, he, he's going to be extension eligible this offseason and you think hey if we're going to bring back van bleed who i think is eh, a little more valuable than right i'm not i think the difference between them might be a little overrated um that you could say that maybe that's a way to clear off some money and what is your best i mean because it really seems like it's probably going to be we're going to stick pretty close maybe cj miles is another one who's making 8.3 that they could try to move and i think he's been very important to what they do in the regular season but the fact that he just got so hunted and trucked by lebron james all the time um and and the raps of course never even thought about oh let's just not find a way to not switch this <laughs> this pick and roll with cj miles uh so that's another guy that maybe they could move hard to imagine that bay bay will be back unless it, if they give him a qualifying offer i'd be shocked because um, he would probably just take it and then they got more tax concerns so i, I don't know yet anything come to mind here is like the best way to move out from under the tax if in fact that's what they need to do if they have to do it it's it's going to be really tough i would try on valanchunas first well i mean you know my feelings on DeRozan, but i would try on valanchunas first because they already have a natural replacement on roster in Jakob Pertl. and so if they can make that work and i think he's close to the smallest negative because his contract is the cheapest and maybe there's a chance he declines that player option i expect him to pick it up it's 17 6 in 2019 for 1920 so i i think that it wouldn't take as much of an asset to to dump him the problem there is supply because there are just so many centers around the league and a team would you know presumably if they're shedding salary that means that team is taking on more money for 1920 which isn't super popular around the league because that's when some teams are actually going to have money so that's where i would start i would be listening on every single person on this roster other than probably og just because players like og Ananobi are so rare and you, you still technically listen on him you know he's not untradeable because basically there are like five guys in the league that are untradeable but it's just very reluctant and you're praying that after you know that uh, the, such a successful regular season from a team perspective that somebody overvalues what you have and they got unlucky that some of the marginal guys hurt their value the most like norman powell you know, right now i don't think there's anybody that's really excited about trading for norm powell that would have been a really uh, an easier way if he had had a nice season cj is kind of the same thing i think there might be teams that are interested in it and the other piece of advice i would i would give the rap Masai, not that he needs my advice is wait it out a little bit because a couple of these players that they have might be more interesting to a team once they strike out in free agency like let's say chicago or atlanta once they get kind of out of that and let's say their money eating salaries wasn't as useful as they thought it would be maybe then they're like hey well we're, we might as well be a little bit better we can bring this guy in that could end up working for them and all they would need is one taker for one contract and they'd be okay well another interesting thing too is you might as well wait it out and see whether lebron james is still in your conference or not i mean that that's true gonna change a lot of whether it's blowing up the team because hey we have no chance to beat lebron he just signed a four-year contract in cleveland or philly or wherever it is or whether it's hey no lebron like that's pretty good now we don't have to we don't have to trade cj miles because he's actually available shooter and he's not going to get trucked by lebron every playoff that's uh that's going to be very interesting uh, whether they would want to do that or not i mean i think they probably would want to try and get their man as a coach right away it does seem that like the raptors don't seem like a team that's gonna like look for an established coach elsewhere like it seems like it would be very raptors to just promote one of the those guys on on the bench or stackhouse who's been on the 905 yeah nurse calamian nurse seems like the guy who gets to talk about the most uh so i mean let's assume that they're pretty much bargain basement shopping here now uh they're gonna be pretty limited in terms of a sign and trade so i I don't think that that's necessarily too realistic 
I, I, and, and they also I mean, if they did want to go ten million dollars into the tax, there could be some people out there who might be able to help them. Sure, and they also have two trade exceptions that expire in mid July. Carol and Corey Joseph, and those so those expire in mid July. If they, you know, they, that that would allow the market to settle a little bit. Maybe a, a team is just they just have somebody that they're not super excited about, or a guy gets waived and uh, you know at a lower salary, and they think that could work. But I, I was writing the offseason preview for the Athletic, and what, what I found so interesting about the Raptors, and this is very unusual is that I would say their biggest, they don't really have any any no. broad scale like needs right now. Their biggest needs will be created by whoever isn't on this team anymore. And we don't know who that is yet. Yeah. And Van Vliet, we talked about him in the point guard ranking pod. I expect that if they're willing to make a reasonable market offer for him, that I think they'd be able to bring him back just because of the mechanics of restricted free agency and just how few teams there are that really both want to wait around for him and can offer him that much. And maybe there's a team that might be willing to take him in a signed trade, you know, or it could be right that goes uh, along with someone else uh, as we suggested and just looking at the kind of guys who might be available for the mini mid level if they were able to use that but they can it's just a question of whether they want to spend the money or not i think jeremy grant would be a very intriguing option for them as another guy who could potentially have some size on lebron james i think that could be pretty useful um you know if you're not going with lebron i think just like a stretch five chaining fry type of option could be useful for them also just get a little bit more stretch uh, at the four uh, someone who has some size like uh you know, maybe an ursan Ilyasova is someone who i think it could be helpful just with, with his defensive intelligence i mean we're not uh, of the guys we're talking about luke and Mute is probably out of their price range um and i think also just if you're playing og 35 minutes a game uh, as a defensive stopper against teams that really have someone who needs to be guarded like that i think i mean i think og played absolutely as well as could have been hoped for against lebron james like his individual defense like wasn't the problem it was just they would get him switched off and then they had nothing that they could do another option for the raptors using some of the mid-level or even just giving out partial guarantees if they want to go that route is just taking a couple flyers on young guys who they think can work in their system kind of a raptors university concept and this class depending on who gets qualifying offers and who who doesn't could end up producing some people there like i, I don't know why i have this thought in my head but if they could just take a flyer on somebody like noah vonley maybe they could find something there and get a get a, you know a, a, a big guy that can do a little bit or you know i think that a lot of the wings are going to get qualifying offers because that's just the way this works but i think they can bet a little bit on themselves that they can find somebody and develop them and generally speaking those players will not take as much of a financial commitment and it's tough too though for the raptors because it's like are you trying to get more players for the playoffs are you going to throw all your resources into that and trying to guard lebron james i mean they they tried that with pj tucker two years ago and they still weren't able to get any stops either even with him uh, guarding lebron or are you going to just say hey you know let's just get some more depth of the regular season we'll try to win as many regular season games we can uh and this is a wonderful group in the regular season i mean they won 59 games winning 55 games and losing the second round is not the end of the world although certainly the angst that i think would be felt if they brought back all this group with no changes at all it would be difficult um since you don't like the phrase gun to your head i will ask you nicely as you requested the last time we did this danny do you believe that fred van vliet will be on this team next i do and the reason why i do is just because even though there is a very good argument to be made that fred van vliet is the second best point guard depending on how you count Marcus Smart, available in this free agent class. I just don't see anybody throwing more than the mid-level exception at him. And remember, so he is arenas limited. And what that means is that a team cannot offer more than the mid-level exception for the first two years. And then theoretically, as it was Jeremy Lin is the most famous example of this, you could raise it all the way to that player's theoretical maximum for their third year. The problem in this narrow cap is that a team can only make that kind of an offer because it counts for the books in terms of legality for the 
the average value. Functionally speaking, a team has to have cap space to make the kind of offer. And when you look at there are only like nine teams that have cap space, I don't see any of them just crying out for Fred Van Vliet as much as you as much as I like him and respect his place in the game. There just isn't the right fit. Who is the most likely rotation player on this team to not be on the team next? And we'll exclude Powell because he wasn't really in rotation. Well, it's still Fred Van Vliet because he's a okay, free agent. Yeah, there's sorry, more volatility with that. Okay, so outside of Van Vliet, it might be Valanchunas. He's done a nice job rehabilitating his value. As I said before, they have a replacement on roster, so they could be a little bit more aggressive there. Could be a Baca too. He's, if for whatever reason, I mean, maybe this would change if they change their coach. He hasn't provided as much value at the five because they just haven't played him as much at the five. Yeah, and, and he hasn't been very good there either. I mean, his his struggles with decision-making, again, were quite evident in the series. Uh, the play where there was nine on the shot clock and he decided to try and take LeBron James off the dribble, that, that was uh, right up there in the all-time Serge Ibaka bad decision-making reel, despite the fact that he kind of... And, and I felt bad for the Raptors too because you always want to believe, this is a little bit of an aside here, but we always want to believe as humans that we can change our fate, right? That if we just work hard enough, right? And the Raptors did everything they possibly could. They installed this new offense, Serge Ibaka, all right, we're going to try and like teach you to make better decisions. And during the regular season, he, you know, he fits and starts there, but he was, he was much improved, you know? And then all these things that they tried to do, we got this great bench now and like, uh, we're moving the ball more, playing with more pace. And then it just all comes crashing down against Cleveland in even more humiliating fashion than the last two years. And you're just like, man, like that's just got to suck when you just like, you've made all these efforts. You tried everything as hard as you can. You've done things the right way and then just nothing. Uh, so I, I, I don't know what they do here. I mean, I think, I don't know what Ibaka's value is. If they wanted to just, I mean, maybe the idea would be, hey, we're going to move on from Ibaka and we're just going to have OG and Siakam be our four from now on. That's actually, I think, totally fine at the four. I don't think you're sacrificing that much shooting there. Ibaka is not like a huge force blocking shots. So then when you consider that, you know, if he's playing next to a conventional center, he's got to be out on the perimeter so much anyway. Siakam and OG, OG doesn't make the greatest decisions, but I think he can get there. He can be at least like a powerful straight line driver. Siakam is maybe he can improve his shooting a little bit you know Ibaka is certainly a better shooter than Siakam right now but Siakam is a better decision maker and so maybe you just say hey Ibaka has got two years left as you mentioned over 20 million per season but maybe we could make a trade with him for one of these like you know pretty low value guys who's making like 15 million a year and we're not necessarily going to play that guy but we'll save ourselves 7 million over the next couple of years and we probably won't really get much worse on the court without Ibaka you know maybe maybe that's a trade that could make sense what do you think of that I like it it they they you know I think Siakam could do a nice job filling in there and depending on what the price is for Fred Van Vliet that could allow them to bring in somebody else in that role who's not as good but you know isn't you know the the marginal difference isn't as high as as one would expect especially that Ibaka doesn't play much at five so yeah and I, and I think there could be teams that are interested in that I haven't gone through all of the math yet but there is a piece in my head about the teams that are capped out but not all the way up at the tax and that is the group of teams that they should be talking to right. about Serge Ibaka because those teams aren't losing as much yeah sure it's 10 million dollars or whatever out of the owner's pocket and that is that provides value to them but there are ways of making those trades work and making those teams better that could be valuable and so i think that's the middle ground that they need to be seeking and a couple other teams and abaka is a reasonable fit there because he has talent i think there is a place for him to fit and if the marginal you know the marginal value if you're a team that can't really improve if you need a four slash five for 10 million dollars you're not going to be getting somebody like that on this market and then if you do that trade depending on how close you are to the tax they would still have the mid-level exception and maybe some of these other tools available to them yeah i agree with you i think if i had to pick someone in the rotation who won't be on the team next year it's ibaka because it partially that they 
have this depth Ibaka was just not able to be effective against Cleveland at either the four or the five and then I would say Wright would actually be the second one because I expect them to make more of a commitment Van Vliet Wright you know it would make sense to trade him now because once he becomes a restricted free agent you're not going to pay to keep both Wright and Van Vliet on the team unless you're thinking by that point you know we want both of these guys and we're going to move on from Lowry but given Wright's age it kind of doesn't make as much sense to keep him around for that long either so maybe they could get some value maybe they attach him to Powell something like that um ends up being how he's gone even though he's a, a player that I certainly really enjoy all right I think that's enough uh, on these guys unless you had anything else you wanted to add well I want to do some basic oh, yeah. Yeah. uh some ba- basic kind of bookkeeping stuff with them so the Raptors only have one non-guaranteed player that's Alfonso McKinney he's n- he had a partial guarantee for this year which of course guaranteed once he made it into January he has a minimum non-guarantee the decision date on that is July 20th per basketball insiders they have no draft picks because they traded their first to Brooklyn in the Damari Carroll deal they traded their second to Phoenix in the PJ Tucker deal last year and after that they have all their own picks moving forward so they are steppy and limited until draft night and then at that point they can start they can start trading their 2019 pick is at, at that point and as you said they have a lot of other young players that could be perceived as assets my big question there as we talked about a little bit was just is it worth it to give up somebody like that just to shed salary in this year and it could be i mean that's what ownership that's an ownership decision more so than anything else and i'm going to be truly interested the only extension guy that they have this year is delon wright wright has a 7.6 million dollar cap hold and yeah, maybe for, he for gets freaked summer, out by this for, market for for, 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 for yeah for 2019 yeah. 20 and so maybe you know that that's at a, a level where it's not too big a deal if you make an extension or you don't and so maybe they come to some sort of an agreement but i think that will be clarified by what happens with fred van vliet because i doubt they're going to pay both those guys because actually this is one other thing i want to talk with you about when we did the point guard rankings there was this sentiment that you and i had that we didn't know if there was much of a difference between the 25th best point guard and the 40th best point guard you know it was like so some of those guys that had an opportunity to prove themselves some of them hadn't fred van vliet somewhere weird in the middle so i i still think that's true i had nothing has changed my opinion of that but what i was thinking about with fred van vliet was i'm not sure that i'm necessarily comfortable paying any of those guys for that exact reason having somebody in that mix is certainly valuable and not having somebody is catastrophic i've been saying this for a couple of years the nets being a good example but giving those guys let's say like a three or four year contract who are outside of the top 25 it just seems kind of perilous to me because a lot of times those don't work out yeah it's really if you're going to go to that type of level and not even the length of the contract but you when know, we're talking about above maybe six million dollars maybe even above five dollars it's got to be someone who you expect to play 25 minutes a game sometimes 30 and van vliet was someone who closed games for this team a lot of times in the regular season and so he's the type of guy that i would consider doing that for he has some weaknesses like a complete inability to score inside of the three-point line but he gets a lot of penetration he's just shockingly good defensively good three-point shooter plays with great pace so you know i'd go for six seven million a year for him because the expectation is that you know you can play him together with another point guard he can shoot well off the ball uh, he's good defensively whereas some of these other guys if you're just gonna be a pure backup you know that is an overpay you're just not gonna be playing enough minutes to be worthwhile at, at that number all right well after that sunny dis- disposition with toronto fans let's move on to a far sunnier place detroit michigan we well detroit's situation certainly changed and part of the reason why we're doing them today is because where we start this stan van gundy will not be back with the team in either capacity he is no longer the head coach or the president of basketball operations and i would assume jeff bauer is on his way out as well so they are going to separate those as two different positions which is the right call that is what every team should do barring a crazy crazy exception and what i found interesting about the way that this has been reported 
is that, so the quote from Stan Van Gundy is, when it came down to this, I was perfectly willing to only go in one role and to give up the front office and go into coaching. I didn't fight to hang on to that at all. I was more than willing to just move into the coaching role. And I will add after that in my own words that there is a question about how that's defined because it might be, oh, I'm willing to do that, but I'm also having this like close friend and confidant that would, I'm okay with him being the running the front office, which would theoretically, if that right. were what he's actually kind of framing there, would be a completely different thing than saying, I'm willing to give up the front yeah, office. Yeah, that close friend and confidant being Bauer, of course. And so maybe at that point he said, well, and he also had to quote basically saying that when meeting with Gores, he decided that bigger structural changes were needed. And that certainly alluded to what you're talking about. And another reason that it never really made sense for him to return was, which I've talked about before, he only had one year left on his contract, right? With Doc Rivers, he had more than that when they're talking about bringing him around. And actually, Doc, uh, Bill Plaschke reporting that Rivers and Balmer are uh, nearing agreement on a contract extension, which I think actually makes sense despite all the rumors that Doc was looking to get out of there. But anyway, back to the Pistons. With only one year left on his contract, if you're the Pistons, do you really want to have him coach and then he does well and now he wants now you have to extend him or do you want to just bring in the new gm and have him bring in his man if you're bringing in a new gm then is how's he going to work with the guy who just had to give up president of basketball operations and we saw how poorly that went in atlanta where mike budenholzer according to the atlanta journal constitution was effectively fired um so it's uh it just didn't seem like it was there was a way to make it work maybe they tried to maybe they're just kind of blowing smoke about we wanted to make it work and we couldn't but uh i just didn't see how it was going to agreed and now that puts the pistons in this weird spot where they have a lot of flexibility in terms of the front office and oh coach yeah yeah and all right thanks thank, thank god i thought i was like when i heard the words pistons and flexibility in the same sentence I, my eyes just about popped out of my skull yeah so <laughs> i want to i want to give a little bit about how not flexible they are in terms of in terms of players and salary so they traded for blake griffin a trade that you and i both criticized and i said i i, I know that sporting news i think it was sport news or the athletic pushed this part of it harder where i said it was one of the most disastrous trades in the last decade that might end up being you know i might end up being okay on that but griffin and andre drummond are combined are making about 60 million combined each of the next two seasons and then griffin is paid beyond that but drummond has a player option we don't know what he's going to do there for those same two seasons if you add in reggie jackson then those three combined to make about 75 million this coming season 80 million the season after that and then they have john lure for 10 million a season for each of the next two and langston galloway for seven million per for each of the next two that contract we talked about that on a 15 and 60 god that contract please saying uh just completely insane yeah i I mean just like give give his agent a round of applause for for that contract uh with galloway is he with schwartz i can't remember who he's with no he's with uh michael siegel actually a a, uh an independent agent or at least what was the time i don't know if still but uh yeah Uh, good job okay so so if you paint that full picture even without you know ish smith makes six million all the next year basically they're going to be dancing with the luxury tax each of the next two seasons and basically other than maybe Drummond none of those guys are you know we talked about the Nene test in the last segment basically none of those guys passed the Nene test and so they could theoretically throw assets if they would but if they wanted to but they don't have a ton that is really like movable extraneous assets and then giving up future picks to dump salaries is a strange thing for a team in their spot to do so I would imagine that this is going to be a remarkably stable team at least for this offseason even though they're changing over so much in the front office yeah and as of now about five million dollars no i'm sorry four million dollars in breathing room below the tax but that's with and we're going to assume that reggie bullock's 2.5 million non-guarantee for next year gets picked up they're fools not to do that eric moreland they'll probably keep him around i mean he's looking 
like their backup center right now uh he's on a non-guaranteed 1.8 million but that means they've only got 11 guys under contract so you got to get to 14 and each one of those is going to cost you at least another you know three million bucks probably at an absolute minimum probably more than that so you're basically at the tax right now even if you fill out the roster with minimum contracts that's not to say nothing of bringing back anthony tolliver who actually was a really valuable player for them he was part of their closing group with blake griffin sometimes when they bring put andre drummond on the bench i'm probably not too happy about that james ennis whom they traded for uh they'll have early bird rights on him he has a relatively small capital but that doesn't really matter so they're over the cap so he's the one that you'd think they could use he didn't wasn't really a game changer for them when they got him though so and they're really just gonna have to count on i think internal improvement via guys like stanley johnson and luke Kennard uh, to get adequate play on the wing that's the number one need for this team it's also the single hardest thing to find for the money that that the pistons are going to have available so it will basically have to be internal improvement maybe a couple of flyers but they won't have much of an opportunity there also worth noting that stanley johnson it's this seems ludicrous considering just i don't know this the scope of time yeah. but he's extension eligible i mean so johnson he has a a, a 2019 cap hold of 11.8 million i would expect that his next contract will be less than that and they will have more time theoretically to evaluate but it's always hard we've seen this you know i think aaron gordon was a good example even aaron gordon was a much more established player than stanley johnson where it can be very hard to to have these negotiations when the front office is gaining familiarity with the players and won't really get the context of seeing them in games and in the regular season before the extension deadline i mean they get like a week or two now but not very much so that will be really complicated maybe it can happen and then i think canard can take on a larger role i i I still like what he can bring bullock had a very nice season so you know the three of those guys help but that's a lot to put on their shoulders and it's going to be hard for them to get more and then the other they become the pistons the new kind of clippers in this if healthy vein where the clippers you know if healthy this past year even with their kind of even some ways without blake griffin once they traded him you know if healthy they absolutely could have been a playoff team they were pretty close to being without it but they need to be pretty damn healthy to be even like a low-end playoff team in my opinion next season yeah and john luer missed the entire season due to ankle surgery we'll see whether he's able to come back next year and how good he's able to be i mean he was a guy who was overpaid of course at 10 million per season even before this season but since they probably can't afford to bring back tolliver and James Ennis, you know, it can't really be a four, an option at the four, maybe. And then they don't really have enough wings to play Stanley Johnson at the four regularly. I think that would be a, a good position for him. But they're going to be relying on Lure a lot. You know, I think he, when healthy, he's a decent fit next to either Griffin or Drummond uh, as either a, a shooting center or, or a four who has a little bit of versatility. And then, you know, they've got Reggie Jackson, who has been injured most of the, of the last two years. They've got Griffin, obviously. He can get hurt at any time. At least Drummond never gets hurt. You know, that's the one thing that they can look forward to. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's tough to see where the upside is i think if these guys are healthy and then the other problem that they have too for next year and this is something i mean you have to this is talking about how they're going to play next year but when you're looking at trying to determine what your course of action is as a franchise whether you realistically are going to make it into the playoffs or whatever is a big part of that and unless lebron james leaves cleveland which is looking less likely as we go through and they have dominated in these playoffs i expect them to dominate in the next round against the celtics spoilers spoiler alert maybe james leaves but you never know there but still i think pretty much all of the other teams it's hard to imagine them falling out of the playoffs next year that where we would say detroit would be ahead of them you know they'll have competition coming up behind them with charlotte who's kind of doing in the same boat as they are with a, a decent team who could make the bottom of the playoffs if everything breaks right uh the good news is that the teams below them in the east don't really appear poised to take the next step so uh you know they've got the 10th 10th or 9th seed all to themselves that's about the most positive thing 
thing you could say and maybe if one of the teams above them gets injured and they don't get injured that they could get back into the playoff mix but you know certainly not a ton of upside there yeah it, it, it's a tough spot to be and we should also just in a couple of basic things they do not have their own first round pick because that was included in the Blake Griffin trade so they do have the 42nd that's their second round pick and they have no extra picks from any other teams they have all their own firsts moving forward but then they owe their 2020 and 2022 second round picks due to the previous trades so it'll be a challenge for them to add much beyond beyond this point and I don't think they can like buy a first that doesn't happen anymore anything like that and of course they the other thing want to make sure to mention with two other things that that amuse me one is Josh Smith is still on their books for 5.3 million for this year or sorry for 18 19 and 19 20 that's when he will come off the books is after the 19 20 season and that money counts towards the luxury tax you know that buyout and basically just saying I don't want him anymore and cutting him and not trying to figure anything else out that is still going to hamstring the next Hornets sorry not Hornets the next Pistons front office for a little while and then the other part is it's a little bit fortuitous timing that Josh Smith will come off the books his money will come off the books for 1920 because that's when they're going to need to kick in the money for a big Henry Ellenson extension <laughs> uh he would actually be a very good candidate to not get his fourth year option picked up now that uh the guy who invested in him maybe he'll have some awesome summer league or something although I'm always god remember remember how pissed off Pistons fans got when I said based on what I knew at that moment I would have declined his third year option do they think he really provided that much value for them that he that he that they need to have him for 1.9 million for next season ah ah uh, indeed all right that'll do it for limited today. yeah go ahead sorry i was gonna say limited big men is like the weirdest victory lap to do but like i i don't know it feels like those are the ones that i have um anything to plug before we depart i know that there will be some off-season previews coming up it sounds like my raptors one will probably come out on wednesday so that might be a little bit but there there are a bunch of them in the mix for the athletic and then that piece i mentioned for real jam is going to come out soon and hopefully if i have the time tomorrow now that you know things are opening up a little bit tomorrow the next day i will do a danny story time for that upcoming real gm piece for the patreon awesome all right thanks again for listening and we probably are not gonna do maybe we'll do a twitter nba show on wednesday for Sixers celtic um but probably or i might do one on my own if it's close at the end but we're probably looking at conference finals when we're going to be back for that so it's kind of an unanticipated break but should be a fun conference finals that houston golden state series obviously is going to just absolutely epic i can't wait for that one talk to you all tomorrow till then at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet365 21 plus only must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.